Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for Life Over Coffee. I am Rick Thomas, and I'm very glad that you are here. This is episode 412, and the title of it is, Do We Have to Twist Scripture to Help Victims of Abuse? I had a friend share a video from a biblical counseling ministry where one of the leaders of that ministry spoke to women about the ministry's views on helping them when abuse happens. My friend Ask my opinion of the video, which I shared, and then I decided that it would be worth a more in-depth examination for our community because I have seen this before, where a person with a good heart overreaches with a flawed hermeneutic to make the Bible say something that it does not hoping to help those victims. My point in this episode 412 is this. We don't have to twist God's word to care for hurting souls. Let me talk about that. Thank you again so much for joining me. Now, as I start, I do want to state two things, what I am not saying and what I am saying, because I do want to be clear on this. What I am not saying at all, I'm not suggesting that abuse is not real. That would be foolish. We know it's real. All of us know somebody that has been abused. We probably know multiple people who have been abused. So I'm not suggesting that abuse is not real. And I'm also not implying in any way that we have perfected our soul care efforts in taking care of the abuse of the abused. There are many instances, and we're probably familiar with those as well, to where we have done abuse soul care in a bad way. And so I am not saying those two things. Abuse is real, and we do need to grow in how we take care of victims of abuse. What I am saying is this. God's Word has an answer for the abused, for the abuser, and for those who are helping these two people, helping the abused to overcome uh, what has happened to them and confronting the abuser, hoping to help them so that they can overcome their sin. But my point here is that we do not have to bend God's Word, even if our desires are sincere. Now, this video I have linked in episode 412, and if you want to watch it, I would love for you to do that. You can go to the episode here. You can click on it. The video is seven minutes, and I would love for you to examine it. I am going to do that here. I'm doing it for our community because I don't want our community to make this mistake. I want our community to be sound theologians, their understanding of theology, and then also their application of it. Now, the text that this biblical counselor is exegeting and applying in this video is Psalm 105 verses 14 and 15, and I'm going to read it to you right now. This text is really short. Psalm 105, verses 14 and 15 says this, God allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. That is Psalm 105, verses 14 and 15. And again, that is the text that this biblical counselor was exegeting and applying for the victims of abuse. David is the author of this passage of scripture, of this psalm. And David is talking about, he's reflecting back into Jewish history, back into the book of Genesis, talking about some of the stuff that happened 
happen uh, back then, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. You can also find this text in Chronicles as well. Now, the person who is presenting the video is Joe Level with this biblical counseling organization, and I Now, I have no question about Joe's character or his good intention or his desire to help abuse victims. I do not know Joe, but I have no ill intent about him or no uh, suspicion of his motives. Uh, It would be arrogant of me to judge his motives because I don't have that information, and I would be a fool to even to speculate but I'm, and also I'm not a cynical person, so I'm just not a cynic. And so I believe that Joe's heart is in the right place, that he wants to do the right thing, that he has a genuine desire to help victims of abuse. And so this is really not about him as far as his person is concerned, but it is about this concern that I have with too many biblical counselors, excuse me, and not just biblical counselors, but other people as well, pastors, disciple makers, whomever they may be who are coming alongside victims of abuse, is that they have some of them, some of us, that we have swung the pendulum so far in the other direction that we jump from one ditch to the other. The ditch that we were in is the ditch that we were not taking care of abuse situations correctly, but we have overcorrected to where we have jumped into another ditch. And as I've been thinking about this video, I wanted to examine my own heart, and maybe you could take time to examine yours as well. Are you in either ditch? Uh, Do you bury your head in the sand and say that abuse is not real, and you don't deal with it, and you extract yourself from being a, a part of the solution? That would be really bad. But then in this other ditch, have you swung all the way to the other side to where You have overcorrected or overcompensated for the problem. And so as I was thinking about this potential, because we can swing uh, from one ditch to the other in all sorts of ways, but in particularly when it comes to, in particular, when it comes to those who are being abused. And so I have five possibilities that I want to present to you, reasons why a person would jump from the ditch of abuse is not real or the person is not telling the truth, etc., to overcompensating, and the first one is overcompensating for past mistakes. That could be part of the motivation. Now, again, I'm not attributing that to Joe Level at all. I don't know his heart, so I'm not making that a judgment, but I'm asking us to examine our own hearts Are we part of the pendulum swing? And one of the reasons that we could be, if we are, is that we have overcompensated for past mistakes. It's kind of like reparations. Something happened bad back there, and now uh, we uh, feel a false sense of guilt, so we overcompensate. And that is point number two, a false sense of guilt. Maybe you're not guilty at all, but because of this reality of not taking care of things the right way in the past, we can heap guilt on ourselves, which can cause us to have a pendulum swing. And so overcompensation, a false sense of guilt. Number three is just ignorance. Ignorance in the sense of not knowing how to exegete a passage of scripture. Ignorance in the sense of having a bad or flawed hermeneutic, the science of Bible interpretation. And then number four, we could be afraid of the cancel culture. Now there is no question that there is a a segment of the 
abuse culture that is very harsh. They're very mean-spirited. A segment of them are. And if you do not say it the right way or if you don't do it according to how they expect you to do it, they some of these people will come at you and they will come at you in a sinful way. It is the problem when you are legitimately victimized, and because of that, it, it gives you a sense of moral superiority based on what happened to you that blinds you to how you respond to other people. Now, I did that as a victim of abuse of my father as an angry teenager. Because of what he did to me, I somewhat sanitized my reactions to him, and I responded sinfully to him, but I was blind to my sinful responses. And so I became an abuser myself as a victim of abuse. And there are some people who are afraid of this culture, and therefore they acquiesce to what this this uh, cancel culture demands from you. And that could cause you to jump into that ditch. And then number five is a grandstanding. And I do believe that this is true, that there is a segment of our biblical counseling culture and Christian culture at large. They have more nefarious purposes in mind here. They're at, they struggle with selfish ambition, and they want to build their brand. And they have an audience that is vulnerable to uh, their manipulations, and so they could build their brand based on or build it on uh, the victimization of other people, and I do believe that is happening as well. And so there's five possibilities that uh, I would hope that you would examine as I examine myself to see how I overswung the pendulum. The long-term effect will be damaged because if you build your soul care efforts on top of a unsound hermeneutic and poor exegesis, you will not only be unhelpful, but you might even weaponize the victims by passing along your improper understanding of God's word as they attempt to untangle from what happened to them. You see, Practical theology is discipleship. Practical theology is counseling. And so practical theology means that you are applying theology. Now imagine you have a counselee who has been abused. That is their major primary problem. Well, if you apply theology improperly, well, you haven't helped them ultimately because now you have added a complicating problem, a problem on top of the original problem. The original problem is I have been abused, and now you are applying unsound theology on top of that. That only complicates them. And then you send them out with a poor understanding of God and a poor understanding of God's Word, and so you complicate matters. And that leads me to want to ask a question to any victim of abuse. Do, is your counselor a sound theologian, and how do you know your counselor or any disciple maker needs to be growing in sound theology because, again, discipleship, counseling, it is practical theology. And so is your counselor a sound theologian? A sound, the, a sound theologian, how do you know? Do you sense the bending of Scripture, making it say something that it does not? You want to vet the person who is speaking into your life because if they're not pulling up sound theology to lay down over your life, then that is a problem. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time examining this video that Joe Level and this biblical counseling ministry put out. Again, not making any kind of 
negative comment toward Joe Level as far as his character is concerned. But what he's teaching is improper and Minimally, I want our community to understand that we have to grow, keep maturing in our understanding of Scripture, ultimately our understanding and practice of God. It would be a stretch to say that this verse talks about abuse. It is not. Joe is eisegetically reading back into Scripture with an abuse presupposition and making the text fit his interpretive filter. And when I say a abuse presupposition, what I'm saying is a presupposition is like a pair of glasses. The lens will give you the interpretation, everything that you see. And so if my glasses were rose-colored, everything that I see in life is going to be interpreted through a rose-colored lens. If I have an abuse presupposition, then when I read scripture, I'm going to read abuse into virtually everything that I see in Scripture, and that is not how we are to read Scripture. I have another article here that I would love for you to read. It's in episode 412, and it's titled, When the Abuse You See Clouds Biblical Interpretations. In that article, I talked about Chris Moles, who does the same thing. He's done it on multiple occasions. I've heard him speak And he, on these occasions, because he has an abuse presupposition, he eisegetically reads in the Scripture. And I would love for you to read the article where he talks about 1 Corinthians 7 and even admits that the text doesn't say what he wants it to say, but he continues to make the text say what the text does not say, even though he admits that the text does not say it. That's when you have a strong abuse presupposition and you're twisting Scripture to fit a narrative that you have already predetermined in your mind, and that is what Joe is doing here. Honestly, I do not understand why people have to stretch a Bible text to fit a narrative when all you have to do is say abuse is wrong. I mean, even the unregenerate world has a moral compass that says abuse is wrong. Honestly, You don't even need the Bible to tell you that abuse is wrong. We have an internal moral thermostat, our consciences, that helps us to distinguish between right and wrong. The unregenerate person has that conscience, as we read in Romans 2, 14 and 15, that we know true true and wrong. We know the differences between them. We don't even need the Bible. Now, I have a high view of Scripture, but my point here is that We don't need Scripture to tell us what is plain. Abuse is wrong. But when we bend Scripture to fit what we want it to say, it discredits our message. And that is the problem with this video that this counseling ministry put out. Joe is teaching abused folks bad theology in addition to their abuse. Again, it complicates the pre-existing problem. Joe says scripture is full of examples and commands of God's heart toward protecting the vulnerable from harm. When I read a statement like that, God's heart toward protecting the vulnerable from harm, I want to say, but God let the abuse happen. God permitted the abuse. And so when you say God's heart toward protecting the vulnerable, that that is not a clear picture of who God is. And so my retort is, well, he He permitted it. I mean, God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. Uh, God did not stop this. God is sovereign. God is a ruler. 
And then I would follow up with, so what about God's heart toward Job? What about God's heart toward Daniel? What about God's heart toward Paul? What about God's heart toward Jesus? He didn't protect them uh, from abuse. And so when we make a statement like this, that God's heart uh, or scripture is full of examples and commands of God's heart toward protecting the vulnerable, you're, you're communicating a skewed view of who God really is, and now you have the abused person, that puts them in a a bind because they too have to think, well, he didn't protect me. I mean, what's his heart toward me? He allowed this to happen. And what is his heart toward Job and Daniel and Paul and Jesus? It would be much wiser to provide a more robust teaching on suffering rather than giving the abused an anthropomorphic God. And what I mean by an anthropomorphic God, anthropomorphisms, uh, anthropos, you hear the word humanity and mankind in, in there. We use anthropomorphic expressions to try to get our minds around who God is, but it's not fully who God is. And so we use anthropomorphic expressions, human language like the eye of God, the hand of God, the heart of God. God, which is what he's saying here, God's heart toward protecting the vulnerable. But you have to be careful with anthropomorphic expressions because if the anthropomorphic expression as a way of trying to understand God, if that is if that becomes who God is, then we have downgraded God. Anthropomorphisms, Joe wants to connect his the heart of the counseling ministry to the heart of God. And that's why he makes his statement, God's heart toward the vulnerable. And so now he's, well, God's heart's toward the vulnerable, vulnerable, and so is our heart. We're toward the vulnerable as well. And so Joe is making an emotional appeal as though God shows emotion, as though God shows emotion when abuse happens. The ministry is reading our human assumptions and our human reactions into who they want God to be. That's why he has a truncated, a small vision of who God is. This is what I would appeal to you to do. We have an article on our website. It's written by one of our team writers, Brandy Huerta. It's called, It's Not Remotely Possible to Break God's Heart. It's talking about God's aseity. And I would love for you to spend some time studying God's aseity, and that's why the title here is, It's Not Remotely Possible to Break God's Heart. We don't downgrade God to where he shows emotion because he doesn't show emotion, but when you use this kind of language, in fact, here is a quote from this Counseling Ministries website. In this video, BCA counselor Joe Level shares our heart to protect the vulnerable from a abuse, specifically addressing the protection of women. Now, I have no question that they, I have no no reason to negate what they're saying here, that they do have a heart to protect, but they are equating that to God's heart when he said earlier that scripture is full of examples and commands of God's heart toward protecting the vulnerable. That is a skewed theological truth because it opens the door that you could honestly drive an entire truck through because you have to ask the question, God let the abuse happen, and where is God? God's heart for Job and Daniel and Paul and Jesus and many other people and your friends as well. And so that is a problematic statement when we make our 
when we turn God into an anthropomorphic God rather than exalting him high and mighty for who he really is. Joe says that Psalm 105 verses 14 and 15 has been misunderstood and misapplied. That is true. It has been. He is absolutely correct. But notice what he does. He misunderstands and misapplies the text himself. He uses abuse language right out of the Bible to make his point. He uses language like when they were vulnerable, when they were small, when they were of little account, when they were few in number, when they were surrounded by powerful people groups. What Joe is doing is trying to connect with the victim of abuse. On one level, that is exactly what you want to do, and he's using meaningful words from the Bible that will resonate with the victims, but unfortunately, he's reading into the text and making the text say something that the text is not saying, and he's also making God into someone whom God is not. And so he's eisegetically reading into te- into the text, and then uh, he has an anthropomorphic God that is limiting who God could be uh, in these individuals' lives. And so Joe asked, who is it that God protected according to this passage in Psalm 105, which is pointing back to Genesis, which is what David is writing writing about the Jewish nation. And then Joe tells the stories of Abraham and Isaac lying about their wives, saying the men were abusing their wives as though abuse is the point of those passages. And so you see his presupposition. He's reading the stories of Abraham lying about Sarah and Isaac lying about Rebekah, and he's saying that they are Abraham and Isaac are abusers now. That's what he's saying, that they are abusers. Then Joe says that God stepped in to protect Sarah and Rebekah from their abusive husbands who lied about them and put them in harm's way to where they could be sexually assaulted and abused. And from there, Joe presents an argument about how churches act like Abraham and Isaac. So now he's made an application. He's he's made the point that Abraham and Isaac are abusers and that Sarah and Rebekah were in a place of being abused. And now it's just a short step to say, well, this is what churches do. They're like Abraham and Isaac who have been now caricatured into abusive men that the Bible does not teach and that churches do this too by not protecting but choosing to keep things quiet so that their reputations can be intact. Well, you can continue on that theme. Not only the churches hide abusers, uh, not only do they not protect abusive women, not only are they trying to keep their reputations intact, but you can go on and on with that theme. Now, all of those things are true more than likely true, but you can't tie those things to Genesis. You can't tie that to the story of Abraham and Isaac. You can't back out to where David was talking about it in Psalm 105 and tie it to that text. It is unsound. And so at this point, Joe will convince an unsuspecting person that Psalm 105, the accounts of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis, plus God's protective care where he stepped in and intervened with Sarah and Rebekah, is all about abuse. 
Do you see how his good desire, Joe's good desire to help legitimately abused women has morphed into an unsound hermeneutic? Again, hermeneutics is the science of Bible interpretation. And so because of his presuppositional filter, the lens that he wears, it is leading him in how to interpret these scriptures. And so he's saying that Psalm 105, and and notice what he does. He says this passage has been misinterpreted. Well, it has, because many people have uh, misinterpreted Psalm 105 that says, touch not uh, God's anointed, and they, they said, you can't speak against the preacher. You know, you can't say anything negative about a preacher. Touch not God's anointed. Well, that's not what that text says. And so he, he builds his straw man, is what he does, to steal man, his argument. And so this text has been misapplied, but this is what the text really means. And what the text really means is David was talking about abuse all along, and now let me go back and show you an abuse narrative uh, with one, with Abraham and Sarah, and two, with Isaac and Rebecca, and then how God stepped in. And so there's the abuse, which proves what David was saying with 105, that it's about abuse, and it's not about talking critically about the preacher. That is a dangerous thing to say. And so what he has done, he has morphed into an unsound hermeneutic that twists Scripture to say something that nobody has ever thought and nobody has ever taught. What Joe is doing, he's making what I call the empathetic mistake. The difference between empathy and sympathy, empathy, if you think about it, empathy, let me give you an illustration. Let's say that there was a drowning victim uh, in a lake, or in, in a lake, and you're on a boat, and they're drowning. Empathy jumps in the lake to save the victim, and and there's not a, a lifeguard training protocol in the world that says do that. That is like do not do that. Do not jump in the lake to save the victim. That is the that's what I mean by the empathy mistake. The sympathy sympathetic counseling is you stand on the boat and you pull them out of the lake from a position of strength and courage where you can actually help them. And so you're not dismissing the victimization. You're not dismissing the fact that the person is drowning. They are drowning. But if you make the empathetic mistake, which is what Joe is doing here, he's jumping in. He's twisting scripture. So he's not only compounding what the abuse person has gone through, but he's using scripture to do the compounding. And so what he needs to do, we cannot dismiss the problem that the person is drowning, but we have to exegete scripture biblically so that we can bring better soul care. Joe explicitly says, What's interesting about this passage, this touch not the Lord's anointed, is it, it is actually talking about protecting women from assault, from abuse. It is not. It is not. And then he says the heartbeat of God is about the protection of the vulnerable, even when men did not step up to protect them. The heartbeat of God is the gospel. The heartbeat of God is to send his son for the salvation of the world. But see, because he has a presuppositional lens, 
which skews his hermeneutic. He has an anthropomorphic God who has now it's like God's only mission in life. He has downgraded God to the point to where the heart of God, an anthropomorphic expression, is for the abuse. This text is talking about abuse, that God's mission is for abuse people. It is a quote uh, right from the video. And then he compares their ministry to being like God to protect the vulnerable. The title of this uh, episode is 412. Do we have to twist scripture to help victims of abuse? I want to wrap up by asking you uh, three, uh, three questions I have here. Number one, is the one I just asked. Do we have to twist Scripture to say something that it does not say to protect the vulnerable? The answer is no. That's a close-ended question. No, we don't have to do that. Number two, what are the long-term effects of using a flawed hermeneutic, eisegetical renderings, and proof texting to make our points? Now, that's something that I would love for you to think about. Do you have an anthropomorphic God where you 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 know more you know more about God by anthropomorphic Anthropomorphic language than deep, rich, deep theological language, for example, like aseity. I would encourage you to read Brandy Huerta's article so that you have a robust understanding of who God is. What are the long-term effects of using a flawed hermeneutic, eisegetical renderings, and proof texting to make our points? Have we helped the vulnerable by misleading them about what God's Word says? And then question number three is, are you restoring the vulnerable or weaponizing them as you teach them how to twist God's Word similarly to you or similarly to me or similarly to Joe in this illustration here. We want to restore, but that restoration comes from a sound understanding of God's Word. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.